But hey, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Jordan Erickson, and it is my honor to serve this church as its student ministries director. And more than that, even I am incredibly grateful that God would not just count me, but count all of us worthy to endure the unique challenges that we have been facing this season. And I think that in his word today, God has some great insights for us on how to endure the trials that we deal with in 2020 well. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and turn them to 1 John 3. We are jumping back into our series entitled First Love, a study in 1 John. We took a a two-week break to welcome Rick Foster, our now interim senior pastor, and Brian Ferrone, our district superintendent. And we are returning today to the book that encourages us to love God, love others, and love the truth well. And before we jump into the text, we want to make sure we establish some proper context. Uh, It's always important to view God's word through proper context. If you don't, you might get Song of Solomon and Revelation mixed up, and that would just make for some very awkward encounters with the Lord. Uh, But looking back, we see the Apostle John is writing to a group of Christians who are under intense scrutiny from a group called the Gnostics. The Gnostics were a group of heretical Christians who had a twisted perception of the gospel and thought that divine knowledge took precedent over the salvation that God offers you and I. And as a result, they claimed to be superior in knowledge to the average Christian, claiming that their mystical experiences or rituals brought them closer to God the Father. So John uses this letter to do two things. The first, to encourage true believers in Christ that they know exactly that, the truth. And the second, he encourages those same believers, just like he encourages you and I, to love God and love people well. Because we see that in 1 John 2.10, a call back to earlier in our series and in this letter, that when we love God and love people well, when we follow the Lord's commandments in us, there is no cause for stumbling. So I want you to keep that in mind, and I want you to keep these three questions in mind. They will help us hopefully connect with the early readers of this letter, and here are those questions. Question number one, what kinds of false teachings and heresies do we deal with or see in the church and the world today? Question number two, are there worldly things that are preventing me from loving people well? And consequently, loving God well, we know that loving God and people go hand in hand. And number three, what truths do I need to follow better to live out God's commandments to love him and love people? Keep those three questions in mind. Let's dive into our text today. 1 John 3, starting in verse 11. Here is what the word of the Lord says. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, 
How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us, and by this we know the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. Church, I got to tell you, I read through this passage, and as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, this text was a spiritual gut check for me. I really had to take a good look in the mirror and ask myself if I was truly living out what John was calling us to in this text. And right away in verse 11, we see John call back to chapter 2, verse 7 of this very same letter. This is the commandment they have heard from the beginning. It should be nothing new to true believers in Christ that God places a high priority for us on loving others. And to get his point across, John uses the example of Cain and Abel. One brother, an example of loving well, the other, not so much. He describes Cain as of the evil one and that his own deeds were evil. And he describes Abel, who Cain murdered, as righteous. If we go back to Genesis 4, we can see why John might want to use this example. Think about this, church. Cain and Abel were the first two children, let alone they were also the first people, born outside of Eden. Their parents, Adam and Eve, would have been able to give them firsthand information about what God was like because they got to spend time with him in the garden. Now, let me tell you, just a quick side note, that would be sweet. Will you tell me what God was like, Mom? Like, it's not just reading a story, it is like being able to tell them what God is like. But we see that Cain and Abel would have grown up knowing the Lord, and this is evidenced by the fact that we see right away in Genesis 4 they are offering sacrifices to him. And so Cain, a man who knew the Lord, not so unlike you and I, was so blinded by his hatred that it drove him to sin and murder his own brother. His deeds were evil because he failed to love his brother well. And John uses this dichotomy, this contrast of Cain and Abel to make some important points. And the first one, and this is our first point for your sermon notes, if the world hates you, you're doing it right. 
Now, here's what I mean by that, right? This does not give us any license to act whatever way we want for the sake of spreading the gospel. I like to often tell our students, you can be a Jesus freak without being a Jesus jerk. You know what I'm saying? Um, but we, we get to that in John fifth, or excuse me, verse 15 of this same text. Um, but John is telling his reader, don't be surprised if the world hates you. And even it's not just John. Jesus himself in John 15, 18 warns us of this himself. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Why does the world hate us, church? It's because we live and we love differently. Our gospel calls us to live differently. And when we live and love in truth, our lives and our message call others to live differently as well. Living differently than the world, it requires sacrifice. That's one of the key themes of the gospel, isn't it, church? Jesus sacrificed everything to save us. He gave up the glory of his throne. He gave up the paradise of heaven. Where he once dwelled in a place of peace, he came down to endure the pain and suffering caused by brokenness and sin in the world. And it's because of Jesus' sacrificial love on the cross and in the empty tomb that you and I have the opportunity to sacrifice and love well. I am willing, church, I am willing to sacrifice my own convenience, my happiness, even my own rights if it means advancing the gospel and bringing glory to the name above all names in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus did not argue his happiness, his convenience, or his rights when he died for you and me. No longer do Christians choose to say or talk how we prefer, live how we prefer, love who we prefer, because it's no longer about our preferences. It's no longer about us. It's about the grand purpose and the abundant life we find in Christ Jesus. And so the world hates us because of the way that we live and love others. But fortunately for us, our God, who is a promise keeper, promises us in, or in verse 14, we cross over from death to life because of the love that we show others. Remember back to chapter 2, verse 10 of 1 John, we see that loving God and loving people well, it creates no cause for stumbling. No one can find reasonable guilt in you or I if we are loving people well. But John says there's a flip side to that. Verse 15, this is the gut check. This is the looking in the mirror passage. Am I living this way? And this is what John writes in verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Church, here's the truth. If I fail to love my brothers and sisters well, I am no different than Cain. I am a murderer. And failing to love others well is one of the many things I have personally done to put Jesus Christ on that cross. Furthermore, as a person who proclaims and professes to follow the Christ Jesus, if I fail to love others well, church, I fail to show that he is risen. I fail to show that Jesus has changed my life. I fail because I don't look different than the world around me. So growing up, I've always had an interest in politics, probably not what you should say in 2020, 
uh, let alone in the pulpit, but I love election season. I do. I still love it. My inner nerd comes out. I love to analyze policy debates. I love to keep track records of the candidates. Um, I might be the only one who has a little bit of like an NFL draft day party on election day. I like to treat the states like in the electoral college like NFL draft players. California and Texas are always the first two taken, but one of these days it's going to be South Dakota and Minnesota. I believe it. <laughs> but see, there's a bit of a problem in that church because growing up as a high schooler, in my love for politics, I often idolized my political party over God. And as a result, I was often a jerk for the sake of winning political arguments. And one day as a sophomore in high school, I was in a heated debate with one of my peers over immigration or marriage. I don't even quite remember what the debate was about. It shows you how important it was. But what I do remember in that conversation is afterwards, one of my other friends came up and he looked at me in the face and said, wow, Jordan, that's a great way to represent Christianity. Yeah, right? That's the, that was a gut punch, church. Because rather than trying to love well, I sacrificed an opportunity to love my neighbor, my brother, well, so that I could prove that my man-made political party was somehow superior to theirs. And I couldn't help but worry and fear just how many more times I failed to look differently and love differently than the world that was around me. Now, praise the Lord for his redemption. He helped me grow out of those shortcomings. But here's our second point in your sermon notes. Church, let me ask you this. Does your life look different than the world? Can people tell that you live and love differently? Can they see the fruits of the Holy Spirit evidenced in your life? Or do all they see is somebody who argues with others on Facebook in the comment section? They see someone who speaks poorly about their coworkers, their church family, their spouse. Saints, you and I have an opportunity, a grand one in fact, to show the world that Jesus and the gospel is worth their time. It's the greatest thing that they could ever do with their lives. In fact, we see John writes in verse 16, it's because of Jesus that we even know what love looks like in the first place. And as we try to follow Jesus' example for us of laying down his own life, we sacrifice our preferences, our conveniences, even our material possessions. See verse 17, church, we should not close our hearts to our brothers and sisters in need. That's crucial. But in all these things that we do to sacrifice, to try and love others well, to show the world that Jesus is worth their time. The Lord honors that. John concludes this first section of the, the passage we are reading in verse 18, and it says this, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Church, love is an action. And obviously we need words, right? In order to share the gospel, you need words. In order to disciple others, you need words. The Bible is words. Makes sense, right? But love at its core is an action. How many of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13? Literally every wedding. I'm just playing. Uh, but you know, right, you're familiar with the passage. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I have prophetic powers to understand all mysteries, if I have faith to move mountains, give away all that I have, deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I am 
again, I have nothing. Love is an action. It's sending down your only son from heaven. It's being put on a cross for the sins of eternity, even though you are an innocent. Love is the resurrection and the empty tomb. For us, love is caring about your neighbor in need. It is being a shoulder to cry on for the morning. It is showing compassion to your enemies. Do you see what we're getting at here? Let's not use hollow words to claim that we love people. Let us show the world what it means to be loved. Not by us, but by the God of the universe. Now, anything related to loving God, loving people, it all culminates right into following Christ and what we call our sanctification, our being made holy. And in life, it's a challenge to be sanctified, right? Scriptures like Romans 7 and Galatians 5, they help us to see that our spirit restored in Christ is at war with our sinful flesh, and they are even at war as we try to love others. Now, just by show of hands, be honest with me, right? I'm going to make you participate a little bit. I know, like, all the students are like, please don't make me raise my hand. But I'm going to ask you this question, right? How many of you have ever heard this phrase, or maybe yourself you have said this phrase, life would be great if it weren't for the people? (laughs) All of you have been guilty of, no, I'm just kidding. But maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I'm a bit too much of an extrovert. I think that most people are generally easier to love. Maybe it's because I just talk the whole time and so I don't actually have to listen to them. I'm just playing. But they make life interesting and fun, right? But here's the truth of the matter is that there are still some people in my life who I find difficult to love. And more often than that, it's usually in my own stubbornness and my own brokenness that I actively resist loving people. Life would be great, not if it weren't for the people. Maybe life would be great if it weren't for my attitude. Amen. (laughs) We all know people who are difficult to love, though, and as a result, it's challenging for us to respond appropriately to the divine calling God gives us to love them. But again, John graciously reminds us of the truth. And this is point number three for your notes. God has our backs because God does the hard work. Countless times through this letter, John talks about knowing what true believers look like and how their lives show a clear assurance of salvation and fellowship with God. But what happens when we try to love well and we still fall short? Again, by show of hands, be honest with yourself, be honest with me, right? Church, have you ever felt like you are trying to live rightly before God and your best just isn't good enough? If you've ever felt that way, if you've ever doubted your standing with God, here is your blessed reassurance for the morning. God is greater than your doubts, church. And God is greater than all of it. God is perfect. Your best cannot outmatch him, nor does it need to, right? Because God did the hard work of saving you and I from sin and death. God is doing the hard work right now of sanctifying us, and he will complete his hard work when he comes back again. And why did he do all of this for us? Why does he continue to do the hard work? Why does he continue to work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes? It's because of his love for you and for me. 
in Romans 8, 38 and 39 says what? Nothing. Nothing, church, can ever separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And that love that God shows us, it moves us to live differently and to love extravagantly. It moves us to live out the commandments we see in this text. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. It moves us to pursue greater closeness with God through these commandments. And when we have closeness and fellowship with God, when our hearts and motives are aligned with his. John says in verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. The prayers of a believer who is pursuing God, church, look differently. And, the, or excuse me, and God answers the different prayers of his children. Now we come to the end of chapter 3 and we once again find the answer to the question, how can you tell if someone knows God? Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. You can tell who knows God by the way they live their life. And you can tell that they're living their life through the bearing of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, first, John really hammers down on two different themes. Truth and love makes sense, right? John is trying to reinforce to this group of Christians under scrutiny the truths that they already know. And the truth he is trying to uphold is about knowing and being in fellowship with God. What is, the direct pro- or what is the direct product of someone who knows God? A changed life. What does a changed life look like? One that loves well. When you walk with the Lord Church, truth and love go hand in hand. But John knows that he's not just dealing with professing Christians. He is also dealing with a group of heretics that are trying to challenge the validity of the very Jesus he personally knew the Jesus that he spent three years of his life with. And so in chapter 4, John begins this section of his letter with a strong defense of the truth by empowering believers then and empowering believers now to test and challenge the spirits. Chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. Now, it's important to note here, John mentions two parties when it comes to false teachings. Number one, spirits. In verse 6, he calls them spirits of error, right? And then false prophets. If we look back to the beginning of our passage in chapter 3, we see Cain was of the evil one. His anger and distress were manipulated by the same evil one that manipulated his own mom and dad into the first sins, and consequently, in his evil hatred, he murdered Abel. Church, Satan and his forces know the truth, right? James 2.19, even demons believe and tremble. And so we see that rather than always telling us bold-faced lies, sometimes Satan and his forces try to use some more subversive tactics when they're trying to attack us. They usually, rather than complete 180s, take the truth and just ever so slightly manipulate it. And we don't even have to wonder if that's what Satan does. We see that it is what he does. Genesis 3, 4, and 5, he tells Eve, you will not surely die physically. 
you will be like God. And in Matthew 4, Satan is so bold as to try and twist the word of God, which we know is the truth, into something that will cause Jesus to sin. Now, praise him because Jesus looks at him as he is tempted or as he is being tempted in the desert and is like, you know what? You can't do that. My dad wrote that. You done messed up, Lucifer. Now, church, truth is truth. And anything apart from truth, whether it is the complete opposite 180 or it is a slight deviation from the truth, is false. John does not use the word misguided prophet. He uses the word false. Oh, there we go. Sweet. Um, and so we see false, or as John calls them in verse 6, spirits of error, manipulate men and women into believing lies and carrying false teachings to the masses in order to oppose the truth of the gospel. And in John's day, it was the Gnostics. Throughout history, we have seen countless heresies and countless false teachers try and challenge the faithful saints of the church. Even now in 2020, we're no strangers to false teaching. We see a world that affirms a culture directly opposed to God and his commandments. In the church, we see prosperity and word of faith gospels try and pervert the work and the divinity of Jesus Christ. I bet if you took five minutes, you yourself could even think of three false teachings that you have encountered in the church and the world. Calling back to the political discussion earlier, I find myself in such distress at how over the last five months, and this is nothing new, Ecclesiastes, nothing is new under the sun, but just how many people have tried to shape Jesus with their politics rather than allowing Christ and his gospel to be what shapes our worldview and our beliefs from those things. Couple that with everything going on, it gets to be quite burdensome. I think all of us have been a little weary, especially over the last couple of months. But the reality is, church, is that it should bother us. Right? It's, it's brokenness, it's wickedness, it's false. And we're at war with a broken world. Proverbs 8, Romans 12, we hate evil, we hate deceit, we hate hurt and the brokenness um, that causes it. But as aggravating as it is, you and I can do something about it. John says it, we can test the spirits with the truth. In chapter 4, verse 3, false spirits are easy to spot because they deny, which is ironic because they know the truth, but they deny that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh and is the Son of God. They deny fundamental truths of the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 5, they're also easy to spot because they preach what the world wants to hear. Remember, we worship a God and therefore we follow a gospel that is countercultural to the world around us, and consequently the world hates God, and therefore hates us. But John calling back to, to earlier in this letter again, chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we, as strong men and women of Christ, have and will overcome the evil one. We will overcome the spirits of error. We will overcome the false prophets and we will overcome the world that challenges us in the gospel. Why? Because God is greater than the world that tries to oppose us. God has equipped us with the truth. He has our backs and he is working all things for the good and his glory. But here's the kicker, church, and this is point number four. You have to know the truth 
so you can use the truth. If you're going to go make a defense for God, if you're going to go test the spirits that you encounter on a day-to-day basis, you have to be prepared to give a different kind of answer. You have to be prepared to give the truth. And the only way to effectively use the truth as a tool is to know the truth well. Soldiers know their rifles inside and out. Mechanics, they can pinpoint and fix all kinds of issues on a car. Judges make sound legal precedent almost every day. Why? Because all of those professions and more know their tools well. And we have been given the ultimate tool, church, in the truth of the word of God. And when we know God's word well through study, through prayer, through meditation, we are better equipped to go test the spirits and bring hope to a hopeless world. But when you, count, or when you encounter false teachings, make sure that when you go to test it with the truth, test it in a loving way. Romans 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The world needs the truth that we have in the gospel church because the gospel is the key. It's the key to salvation. It's the key to freedom, to hope, to making an actual difference in the world church. The gospel is the key to victory. And the world needs to hear it from people who know the truth well. But they also need to hear it from people who look different than the world around them. How will you present the truth as you leave the church this morning? Will you use it to show other people how much more you know than them? Will you use it to fuel argumentative debates? Or will you follow the commandment that you have heard from the beginning, to love one another just as Jesus Christ has loved us first. I believe the choice is pretty clear because we know that when we choose to love well, not in hollow words, but in deeds and truth, when we choose to love well, even though it may come as a sacrificial cost to us, it is always going to be worth it because loving well, church, shows that Jesus is alive Loving well shows that the Spirit is at work inside you and me. And loving well shows the world that the gospel is worth their life and worth their time. Live and love differently, church. Live and love like you have been saved by Jesus Christ. The Lord will honor that. And in loving well, there is no cause for stumbling.